Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. Let's pray and ask for God's help before we hear uh, this passage. Thanks, Father God, that you are great and powerful and mighty. You're also gracious. Your word gives us everything we need to know how to be saved and everything we need for life and godliness to know how to live a life that pleases you. So may all I say this morning, all I preach, may it be truthful and helpful for your people. Lord, please, by your Spirit, work in us, change us, transform us, that we might live lives that honour you as we obey the words of our Lord Jesus. Amen. When I was a Bundy about 12 and a half years ago, I was a considerably larger man. And post-Bible college, for the sake of my high blood pressure, my inner health out of love for my family, I worked hard to lose weight. My eating less was a big part of that, but so was exercise. And I spent many a 30-minute session on one of these. On a treadmill, uh, on a treadmill I would walk, sorry, I skipped to the end. Thank you. On a treadmill I would walk and jog and work hard. And I, I wonder if in life, and when it comes to relating to God, are we on a performance treadmill? Like, do we think that we've got to work hard enough and long enough and be good enough to have God accept us? In our sinful and deceived hearts, we often fall into the trap of thinking that we have to earn God's favour. Thinking that we have to be good enough, nice enough. I've got to go to church enough. I've got to pray enough. I've got to give enough for God to accept us. And so many religious people think like this and live like this, and maybe you know what that's like. And even if we're Christians who know we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking this. Our sinful hearts often want to turn God's grace into works. And as I said last week, if you were here, Passages like the Sermon on the Mount have been misunderstood for many years. It is not Jesus giving us a list of laws that we must live up to in order to be saved and accepted by God. None of us could attain that. But it does describe, it does describe how the person who's come to Christ and who's being changed by God's Spirit is to live. So maybe you need to change your attitude as we dive into the Beatitudes again. And maybe you need to get off that performance treadmill and remember that living for Christ begins with and always means relying on God's grace. If you're following in the outline, uh, in terms of the backgrounds, remembering our context, you remember last week who the blessed ones are. We saw that the people who are truly blessed by God are not the healthy and wealthy, not the happy and or not the, those with fleeting happiness. It's not about success or fleeting happiness. These blessed ones are those who are favoured by God because they're accepted by God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we saw how these eight beatitudes or these eight blesseds are not a reward for works. Those who 
repent and believe in Jesus Christ display these qualities. And so what we've read this morning, what we're considering today, describes the character of the Christian and what a Christian's heart is to look like or what it ought to look like increasingly so. We can grow in these as God's Spirit enables us to grow more like Jesus, obeying God more and more. We looked at the first four Beatitudes and how Christ's people are poor in spirit and they know they're unworthy and they also mourn for their sin. They know they're guilty and they grieve it. They feel it. And blessed are the lowly, not the proud but the humble. Those who are blessed by God are those who've humbled themselves before God. And blessed are the hungry, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And remember that only Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life, but by faith in him and in his death and resurrection, his righteousness can be counted as ours. God declares us righteous by faith in Christ. But when that has happened... Christ's people then hunger to live for him. Christ's people then, we desire to live righteous lives, obeying God, godly lives. And it's these first four Beatitudes which relate to our attitude and response to God which form the foundation for the rest. Because when we know that we are unworthy and guilty and needy and when we have been filled and saved by Christ, then we will display the qualities in verses 7 to 9. My point is A leads to B. What I'm saying is the Christ-following life begins in verses 3 to 6, and it leads to, it results in verses 7 to 9. Our attitude to God will change our attitude to others, to each other. A leads to B. And so when we've come to God for mercy, we will show mercy to others. We will be merciful. Christ's unworthy yet blessed people will be merciful. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful. And this mercy, it embraces both forgiveness for the guilty and a care and compassion for the needy. It's about offering help to the suffering and afflicted. Jesus is saying, the person who shuts their ears to the cries of the needy will also cry out and not be answered. Now that's not that we, it's not because we merit mercy by showing mercy. It's not that we merit or deserve forgiveness by forgiving others. The point is we cannot receive mercy and forgiveness unless we repent and we cannot claim to have repented of sin if we remain unmerciful to the sins of others. So mercy is not a reward for good behaviour. Rather, it's a badge of membership in the kingdom and it shows our gratitude to God for the mercy that he's shown us. 
And when we think about our own sin and guilt that comes from our hearts and when we consider how our own hurtful words, our selfish actions, our ignoring God's words, when we think about these things, we'll see our unworthiness. We'll realise that we have nothing to stand on before God. We are spiritually bankrupt and we can only come to him seeking mercy. And through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us, we experience God's mercy. We receive and experience God's mercy now, the forgiveness of sins, and we will on judgment day. And to be shown mercy from God, it is a great blessing. It's a mammoth blessing. So I ask, have you experienced God's mercy through putting your faith in Jesus, in him forgiving your sins through Jesus Christ. Because Christ came to bring God's mercy and forgiveness to a broken world. And now his people are to be known for the same thing, mercy. And this mercy is about a lifestyle, forgiving those who hurt us, helping others in need, showing compassion in our actions. And so I ask you this morning, has Christ changed the way you spend your money and the way you spend your time and the way you love people? If our lives are not characterised by mercy, have we understood our own need for mercy? Verse 8 then says, Blessed are the pure in heart. This doesn't just apply to the impure sexual thoughts that have plagued many people. Sometimes when we hear the word purity, we can think this, but, but it applies to being free from all corrupt desires, all corrupt desires and all manner of sins. As Jesus will say later in chapter 5, he says, it's not enough for us to just refrain from murder. We should actually not... We must not be angry either, angry in our hearts either. And we've all had times, I'm sure, when we remember that thought, that word, that action, and we think to ourselves, oh, if Jesus had been there, if God revealed that, if people knew that, I would be ashamed. We've all had impure thoughts and desires. And to be in the presence of a holy God requires total purity. And the bad news is the perfection that verse 8 demands, it is beyond us. In God's presence, sinners would be destroyed. None of us could stand in the presence of a holy God. And yet, the good news is cleanness at the very centre of our being is a great gospel blessing. What could never be ours by nature becomes ours by grace through Christ. Hebrews 10 verse 22 says that because of the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Our faith in Jesus, it cleanses our hearts 
and our sinful record before God, and it's all by grace. And that means in heaven, in future glory, we will see God. And that's a blessing that we'll come back to consider a bit later. But now God is transforming our hearts, changing us, transforming us. By God's Spirit, he is giving us godly desires, helping us to make choices that please him. Because the children of God manifest the characteristics of our Heavenly Father. Children become like their father. At least in this case, we're to be so. And we're to pray that we will. Blessed are the peacemakers. Verse 9. Again, the children of God display the characteristics of their heavenly Father. We're only members of Christ's kingdom because the King, the Prince of Peace, through his blood shed on the cross, has made peace between us and God. To reconcile us to God. Christ's blood has reconciled us to God. God has made peace peace with us and now we are to be peacemakers. So the peace this speaks of is not a peaceful feeling in your heart. It's being a peacemaker. Peacemaker. And that means being a person who loves peace, who strives to reconcile with others and restore relationships. And I'd like to apply this in three ways. Firstly, are there people in your life who need peace with God? What can you do to help them find it? They may not realise they don't have peace with God or they may be racked with a guilty conscience. But who can you speak with about Christ? So that can enable them to find peace with God. Uh, Who are you praying for that they would find peace with God? Be a peacemaker. Secondly, do you need to make peace with someone? And that will mean that we move towards them in love. We don't stand back and stand on our rights. Think they should come to me, they hurt me. Is there someone that you need to forgive? Or someone that you know has something against you. In Matthew 5.23, Jesus says, if there, if there is such a thing where someone has something against you, you go and be reconciled to them. You make the first move. Be reconciled to them as much as it is within your power. Because sometimes despite our best efforts, the other person doesn't want peace. Sometimes where they've wronged us, they won't repent. But the point is where to seek peace and not cause division. And for that to happen, for us to obey verse 9, we must seek to understand one another. It means you should be really careful what you post online. And we may disagree with others, even at church here at Bundy, We might disagree with each other when it comes to our parenting, politics, secondary theological matters. We don't always have to agree, but we are to respond to one another, not with anger, but with grace and love. Do you need to seek peace with someone? 
Thirdly, are there other people who are fighting or divided from one another that you could help bring together? And maybe they're in your family, maybe they're here at church, maybe it's at your workplace or at your school. You see, peacemaking means simply, it doesn't mean simply avoiding fights, avoiding conflict, tolerating everything. Being a peacemaker is going to mean and require the pain of listening, the ridding of our own prejudice, striving to understand both sides. It's going to mean risking ingratitude, misunderstanding, and even risking failure. It's not a call to bring peace at any price, but to overcome evil with good. And that's because the church is to be a picture of the future to come. So let us work for reconciliation and the restoring of relationships. Remember that we are already a blessed people. We are fellow children of God who will share eternity with one another. And so we are to live out and express our unity now. The final beatitude is to the persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Please don't ignore or shut your hearts to the sudden jolt this is meant to give us. It's not blessed are the comfortable, blessed are the persecuted. We'd like to live in a world where good is always rewarded and evil is always punished, as long as our own sin is overlooked. That's not reality. To be a member of the kingdom of God is an amazing privilege, but it will not mean heaven on earth now. It will mean suffering and persecution. And so to face opposition for living God's way, for following Christ, it is normal. It's the normal mark of being a Christian. This is Miriam Ibrahim from Sudan. Miriam, whose father is a Muslim, was charged in 2014 with adultery and apostasy. Before the court, she confirmed that she remains faithful to Christ. Miriam told the Sudanese judge, I am a Christian and I never committed apostasy. He replied, we gave you three days to recant, but you insist on not returning to Islam so I sentence you to be hanged to death. The court also sentenced her to 100 lashes for adultery with the sentence to be carried out after she had recovered from giving birth. I think we struggle to imagine this or understand this. I do. We praise God, certainly not always the case, but praise God that Miriam was released from prison in Sudan she was forbidden to leave the country, but after long negotiations with other countries involved, she did escape to Italy. But persecution is not just something that happens to people in other countries far away. When Claire's school held a rainbow out of uniform day, 
to celebrate sexual diversity, Claire decided to wear her school uniform. She cried the night before. That was two years ago. Now Claire is terrified of another day like it. Her mother said Claire is solid in her Christian faith, but at school she's made to feel silly for her faith. The rainbow flag went up on the pole and you stand out in the crowd if you don't take part. One writer, Steve Krieger, writes, When I was in school, Christians were known as those who couldn't, the people who couldn't swear, couldn't have sex before marriage, who couldn't drink alcohol. In the 1990s, the discipleship of teenagers meant preparing them to follow Jesus, even if they were ridiculed. Today, discipleship of teenagers means preparing them to follow Jesus, even when they are hated. The cost has increased. And this is hard, isn't it? Because we love to be popular. We long to be approved of and affirmed and respected and praised. We want to fit in. We want to be liked. We want to get likes. The desire for popularity that affects the way we speak, the movies we watch, the opinions we express, the way we dress the way we behave around others. But the desire for popularity is a tyrant. I mean, by the time you buy your Hawaiian shirt, it's out of fashion already. Yes, I have a Hawaiian shirt. When we are ostracized and excluded or hated or abused, we need to preach to ourselves the words of Jesus here. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus elaborates in verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And so here Jesus moves from generalizations to speak directly to his disciples in verse 11. And so he's applying verse 10 to them. And I suggest that the context is that as we live out and display these qualities in the Beatitudes, as we live out verses 3 to 9, it will bring persecution. So as we show humility and as we live righteously and do what is right and just and good, we will suffer for it. And if we don't suffer for following Jesus... Please ask yourself, am I displaying righteousness in my life? Am I openly a Christian? And what will help us to be willing to count the cost for following Jesus is remembering how blessed we are. Because for the persecuted, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're the ones going to heaven. They are the ones who will experience unspeakable joy forevermore. And in the words of verse 12, great is their reward. We don't know exactly what that reward will look like. But the point is, keep the eternal perspective in mind. Remember that in heaven it will make everything you go through now worth it. It will be worth it. 
Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. The Greek word for glad even means exceedingly glad. I think this is hard. But when we suffer for following Jesus, we ought to tell ourselves to rejoice. Not that you're glad because you like pain. It's not it. It's it's not that we're glad because we experience hostility or exclusion or even hatred. But rejoice that you are blessed. And you follow, Jesus says, in the footsteps of faithful prophets like Moses and Elijah and Jeremiah. And you follow in the footsteps of Peter and Paul, the apostles. And you follow in the footsteps of the Miriams and the Clares of this world. So when you suffer for Christ, tell yourself, say to yourself, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and great is our reward in heaven. I wonder as you look back over this list of qualities or characteristics that should describe Christ's people, please consider where you fall short. What does God want you to change or grow in? Or as the Sunday school question for today, if you've got Sunday school kids, is what do you need to ask God to help you stop doing? Do you struggle to show mercy and forgiveness to the undeserving Do you desire things, impure things that you know displease God? Are you more happy to stay distant from someone than seek peace? And for most of us, me included, who like comfort and not pain, Are we shying away from living for Christ and speaking up for him because we don't want to be persecuted? Are you hiding your faith for fear of persecution? Is your mouth staying shut because you fear the consequences and the cost? Whatever it is for you that you know needs to change, how will you change? In all of these situations, whatever it is for you, we need to come to Christ, come again to him in faith. Please look to him, feast on him in God's word. Think much about him. Pray that you will be struck again by the glory of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the love and the sacrifice of Christ. And then ask God's Spirit to fill and change you. Ask God to renew your joy in all the spiritual blessings that are yours in Christ Jesus. Keep remembering and believing God's promises. Don't forget that you are blessed. Keep focusing on what God promises. Like in verse 8. I'd like us to close this morning by getting us just for a few moments to think about this blessing of seeing God. 
in the fall, mankind was cut off from God because of their sin, our sin. And yet we, God's children, we who've been saved by Christ, we who are living with Christ as Lord, in the life to come, we will see God. In our first reading in Exodus 33, while the people of Israel camped at Mount Sinai, Moses would enter his tent, and we read about that. And in Exodus 33, verse 11, it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face. But this is actually a figure of speech. Moses still longed to see God's glory and to have a ex- greater of experience of God's presence. And the Lord said to him in verse 20, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, but you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. I mean, he was a sinner after all, wasn't he, Moses? And verse 23, you may see my back, but my face must not be seen. And then come to Job, Job chapter 19, it says, Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh will I see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. I hope your heart yearns for this. Job's words can be our words. But only through Christ because our Redeemer has come. And because because through Jesus we believers, we are shown mercy, we are justified and sanctified and adopted. And now God promises us that we will see God's face. Intimate relationship. And Revelation chapter 22 says that the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, the heavenly city, and his servants will serve him. And in verse 4, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. For once wretched sinners to be able to see the face of a holy God is an amazing blessing. Complete welcome into God's intimate presence. We will know God more truly and completely than we've ever known and it will be incomparably wonderful. Awestruck, we will rejoice and be exceedingly glad and it won't ever stop. So we fellow believers, we are blessed and we will be blessed. Remember that you are blessed and now go out this week and live for your Saviour and King. We are unworthy, but we are blessed. So go out and live for your Lord Jesus. Let's pray that we will. Our Heavenly Father, we... Thank you, unworthy as we are, being sinners and in great need of mercy. We thank you that in Christ you have shown us great, rich, deep mercy. We pray, God, that you would change our hearts from the inside out, that we might be people who show mercy, who want to live lives and have desires and attitudes, hearts that please you, with pure living, 
give us a desire to make peace with others. Lord, help us to be peacemakers and to be willing to count the cost and to be persecuted for Christ's sake because ours is the kingdom of heaven. So remind us of our blessings as we go out. Help us to know that following Jesus and counting the cost is worth it. Give us courage. Give us faith. And please, God, we can't do this in our own strength, so give us the power of your Holy Spirit to enable us to live this way, that we might live to your praise and glory in a dark world.